we often forget, don't we? We live in a lap of luxury for Christians, even though what we think of here in America as uh, persecution is that somebody looks at us crosswise or didn't like our Facebook page because we said something about Jesus. And, of course, that's not persecution. And uh, pray for your folks that are out there. I was a missionary for a long time. I really did not experience, oh, I mean, I got insults and things like that, but I never got hit on the head or kicked in the shins or anything else I knew some who did, and uh, it's a lonely time. But it also is, it is, it is a supernatural time because when those times come, you've sent some kind of fear, but then it just goes away and you're fine. You're fine. There's some on some supernatural presence of the Lord when, when that persecution comes. Pray for Naomi. Pray for friendships. She's, uh, it, it struck a chord with me. My great-great-uncle was a missionary in India. That's a long, long time ago. And, of course, those of you who know your mission, let's see who knows this. All right. Mission history. Protestant missions. What is the name? Who was the father of the modern missionary movement? Started in the 1700s. Very good. William Carey. Who said that? All right. William Carey. And uh, he was told uh, he, people really weren't very excited about him going out as a missionary. And so a group of elders in a Baptist church told him, well, what do you think? And he said, well, I think God wants to save the people the pagans around the world, and they said, well, he'll do it, but without your help. He went anyway. And uh, you read the story of William Carey, and it will amaze you what God can do with someone who just says, well, I'll do whatever the Lord wants me to do. So, I'm going to have a word of prayer for me. Father, thank you for this opportunity. Help me to focus my mind, help ears to be open. Help my tongue to work, help my brain to focus, Lord, and may your word be proclaimed truthfully. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Now this morning, over the last weeks, what I've done is I have read the scripture as we move through the sermon this morning. I am actually going to read the passage because we're going to go to Genesis chapter 15. You have your Bibles, Genesis chapter 15. I'm reading out of the New American Standard. Not because you might have a different translation, and um, so it might be a little bit different. But And I'm going to read the entire chapter about Abram as he's promised a son. Now, it starts out in verse 15, chapter, one, or chapter 15, verse 1, says, after these things. Now, this is right after Abram goes, rescues Lot, brings him back, stands before Melchizedek, and gives him his tithe, and he looks at the king of Sodom, Bera, and says, uh, not one red cent do I want of your money. Take your filthy stuff and go. So Abram has really done some incredible, he's, he's survived, he's followed God, he's been faithful. So the Lord comes to him, 
right now because a test is going to come. Right after this, a test is coming for Abram. So God comes to him and he says, and he reminds him. So in, in verse 1, it starts this way. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look towards the heaven and count the stars if you are able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of your the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. He said, O Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? So he said to him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought all these to him and cut them in two and laid each half opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds. Then the birds of prey came down upon the carcasses, and Abram drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed four hundred years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterwards they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. It came about when the sun had set, that it was very dark, and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between these pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land, from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, the Canite, and the Kenizzite, and the Cadmonite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Rephim, and the Amorite, and the Canaanite, and the Girgashite, and the Jebusite. And that's the word of the Lord. And some of you may be wondering, what on earth are we going to talk about today? Well, I'm not going to explain who, as one pastor said, who the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, and the Gigabites are. But they were all people who lived in the land. They were all going to come under the sway of the descendants of Abram or Abraham. So here's one of the questions that we have to ask in life. And it is this, is God trustworthy? Can you trust God? Now, it's pretty easy to say yes, sitting right here in this pew right now. It's a little bit harder for Naomi sitting where she's sitting right now. Your perspective can change that. But can I trust God? And the way you answer that question is going to determine how you'll live your life. And if others are going to want to live their life following Christ as well. Temptation comes, and you decide. So, shall I do it God's way, or shall I do it my way? Now, I have a nephew, and he dropped by early for breakfast this morning, which I encourage him to do, and we were talking about some of his choices and his choices to come, and his, you know, you know how it is. Fathers can't say these things, but uncles can. I said, my man, 
It's called the law of unintended consequences. You shall choose. You can choose anything you want, but you cannot choose the consequences you will suffer because of it. You can trust God, do it God's way. You can trust yourself and do it your way. Well, he says, that hasn't worked out so good, very good this far. Well, you might want to think about that. So that's what we're looking at this morning is that question for Abraham. Is he going to trust God? And so God comes to him with his promise. And we say, okay. Well, and I say, okay, I trust God. And you say, well, yeah, that's fine. So do you believe God? Do you really believe it? Now, I've used this example before, but you come in this morning. Now, all of you are sitting in, in these chairs here. That's nice. What if I told you that I came in last night and I cut the legs through on one of them almost all the way with my hacksaw? And one of you, before we're done here, is going down. Now, all of a sudden, you don't have quite as much trust in the chair you're sitting on, do you? Now, some of us who weigh more than 100 pounds, and I haven't weighed 100 pounds since fourth grade, we look at chairs before we sit on them. I have a good friend in Ecuador, and he comes from a, uh, <laughs> the house that he lives in was built, I don't know, hundreds of years ago. And so the first time he invited me over to, visit, to, to meet his mother, and it was like meeting the Grand Dame. And uh, so came into the front room there, or in, in, as you come in, the big double doors, you know, and just imagine this Spanish hacienda like, in your dreams. And come in, and, and he says, oh, have a seat. And I looked around. There were two or three chairs there. And he sat down and smiled, and nothing in the room was less than 100 years old. And I said, I'm not sitting on any of those chairs. I can't afford to buy them. They all looked like they were going to crash under your weight. And here was a little plaque on the wall with these little derringers, you know, and and uh, he said, oh, go ahead and go up and read it. Now, some of you are history buffs will like this because I go up close and I, uh, and I read, uh, in loving memory of the hospitality you provided to me on my travels, Alexander von Humboldt. Now, he was a great explorer back in the 1800s. Then where do I say? Oh, he laughed. He said, let's go in the kitchen. We have plastic chairs in there. I like plastic chairs. Because, you see, it's one thing to say, I believe that a chair can hold me and then stand beside it all day long. It's another thing to sit in the chair. That's belief, and that's the difference between, or that's trust. That's, that's the difference between believing and trusting. Now, we've talked about Abraham in a lot of ways. We've talked about his step of faith as he left Ur of the Chaldees. We've talked about his wavering faith as he came into the land and went down to Egypt. We've talked about his costly faith when, when he went ahead and gave all the good stuff to Lot. Last week we talked about a generous faith where he comes back and he gives a tenth uh, to Melchizedek and what that meant. And today we're talking about a lasting faith. God comes to him and says, Abraham, this stuff that I'm giving to you, this is forever. Forever. God gives you some forever promises too. And we'll finish up this morning by talking about them. And just as sure as God will keep his word to Abraham, God will keep his word to you. So how does the story go? Well, it's a dialogue between Abraham and God. And uh, it starts out in old King James, verse 1, it says, Fear not, Abraham. That's the first time 
you'll find those words in Scripture. Fear not. A lot of us need to be able to tell, talk about that. We, we, we t- I, I heard someone here talking about fear this morning. What do we do with our fears? Oh, it was in the song when you were singing. It was well done. Fear. And God comes to Abraham and he says, fear not, which probably meant that Abraham had some fear. All of us do at different times in our lives. So he comes to him and he says, I'm your shield. So I'm going to protect you. I'm going to take care of you. And uh, I and, and, and uh, Abraham, now he just fought four kings and beat them. So what was he afraid of? Well, maybe he was afraid of retaliation. You remember how it was in school? You might have gotten the best of uh, Fred on, on Monday, but you knew by Wednesday he was just waiting for you. I know all about bullying. I've heard about bullying. I've been bullied. Thank goodness I never bullied. I never, and I didn't like bullies. So if I saw bullies bullying, I bullied. So I guess I bullied, but only in the right time. But, you know, there was always this fear of retaliation. Now, if you don't have a good marriage and you don't communicate well with your wife, you might win the argument at 9 o'clock in the morning, but you'll lose at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Yes or no? Guys, nod your head. Wives, don't look at him. It's true. Retaliation is a real thing. So Abraham was probably thinking about this. He might have been worrying about it. And God says, Abraham, I got this. I'm your shield. Now, that's a good shield. Well, in verses 2 and 3, Abraham says, but God, that's a nice promise. Um, I got a problem. I don't have any kids. And I am an old duffer. So how's that going to work? And uh, he doesn't have any son. He kind of gives God an option. But here I've got Eliezer, you know. I uh, probably bought him as a slave, and he's put him in charge of his home, and, and he loves him, and he's a good man. And Lord, you know, we'll just continue on here. And the and, uh, Lord said, no, 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 no. no. It's, it's, Eliezer's not going to be your heir. It's going to be a son of your own body. I have no idea what Abraham thought, but he did not say anything about that. Now, uh, how soon he forgets. Very soon, God says, it's going to be from you, and it's going to be from Sarah, and then uh, Sarah, and you know, they try to come up with their own plan, and we talk about Ishmael and Hagar and all of that, but that's for next week. So after God has told him this, and God knows this, he says, Abraham, come outside here for a minute. Look up at the stones. Can you count them? No, I can't count them. Well, you're not going to be able to count your descendants either. So there's a visual picture, and uh, God comes to him and says, this is the way it's going to be. I am your protection. I'm your protection. Okay? Do you believe that? Is God your protection? You see, we're surrounded by dangers and fears all around us. I'm your protection, God says. Loneliness. This afternoon, uh, once a month, I, 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 I go to the nursing home and I do a service there. And if I, they've said it once, they've said it a thousand times. The worst thing about the nursing home is being alone. Now, of course, they're not really alone, but there they are. It takes me back to my earliest memories of my own grandfather. I was probably 10 years old and and he'd gotten sick, and he was in the nursing home. He couldn't be at home, and I went to see him, and he was a tough German. And I rode my, I got to my grandma's house, and I rode my bicycle up there by myself, and oh, it was good to see me. And 
he was sitting there, and all of a sudden he began to cry. I'd never, I'd never seen my grandfather cry, and he just wept because he was so lonely. And I just, we sat there. And, now that was a good part of the story. There's a better part of the story, which, but it isn't so good. He said, "Close the door." After he got himself together, okay. Open the window, okay. Look under my pillow there, and here was a pack of Camel cigarettes. And he said, Danny, don't you ever tell your mom that I shake too bad to get that thing lit. Will you light that for me? I'll show you how. And there I was, and I felt, man, and there I was hiding in the nursing home, lighting a cigarette for Grandpa, and he got that. T- he was a happy guy. Two memories. I mean, how different is one time weeping, and then Grandpa and I, we were partners. I told my mom at my grandpa's funeral. She just shook her head because they're real people. But loneliness, you know, so we have fears. When we're young, we have different kinds of fears. When we're going through life with our work, we have fears. Abraham had his own fears, and God said, I am your shield, and he's your shield. Same promise comes to us. Well, in chapter, in, in verse 6, there's a, there's a key verse here, and it says, Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Have you ever wondered how people in the Old Testament got saved? Today, we say, okay, you come here this morning. Do you know Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ died on the cross. He died in your place. He shed his blood for your sins. If you will believe that, and you'll take it in your own life, you, are, you will be saved. You'll gain eternal life. Well, how did Abraham get saved? Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet. What did he get saved? By slaughtering heifers and goats and turtle doves. And that didn't save anybody. It never saved anybody. They got saved on credit. And I want to talk a little bit about this here. Because first God gives Abraham a promise of protection. Next he gives him a promise of righteousness. Now, we know there is no one righteous, but God gives him that promise. God says to him, uh, and he believed in the Lord. Now, in the Hebrew, that's Abraham said, amen, amen, which is our amen. Now, Baptists have kind of gotten out of the habit. When I was growing up, we had two or three ameners sitting in the church. And I don't know if you've heard it, but you, and I say, you know, now, is anybody here? Now, who would like to be, you know, God is calling us to be righteous. And you would say, amen. amen. And, Abraham, and so God comes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, I'm going to be your righteousness. Abraham believes it. And Abraham hears all this and he says, amen, amen. What, just as you've said it, that's the way it'll be, God. And at that moment, it says God credited to him to righteous. Now, reckoned is to credit. We call in theology, we call that imputation. So God's righteousness is now put into Abraham. And that is exactly what happened when Christ went to the cross and he's crucified on the cross. Then your sin is put on him and his righteousness, when you come and accept that sacrifice, is put in you. Now, you're not righteous. But you are righteous. You're sanctified, but you're in a process of sanctification. But you get it from Jesus. You don't get it because you come to church. You don't get it because you scoop snow this morning. 
You don't get it because you got up with a baby last night and let Thor sleep, which you probably did. No, those things are good things, but you don't get more righteous because you do that. We're righteous because of Christ, and he puts it on us. We accept it on credit. It's like you go and you buy a couch on credit. You haven't paid for it, but you're sitting on it. And Christ has paid for our sin, and so it was credited to Abraham as, as righteousness, and so Abraham and the Old Testament saints were saved on credit, and then all of their actions of taking that sacrifice to the, to the altar, that was all showing their faith. But it was also a command of God to do it. Now, I know we like to think God doesn't call us, command us to do anything, but here you are in church this morning, so I can say, forsake not the gathering of yourselves together. How many of you have friends who say, oh, I'm a Christian, I don't need to go to church. Anybody like that? I got a 25-year-old daughter like that. I love her. But I'd, t I'd say that even if she were sitting here. Yep. The, even the better ones are the ones who say, ah, no, I, I'm a Christian, but I read my Bible and pray so I don't have to go to church, which basically proves they don't read their Bible. God calls us to do this thing. We're, we're, we, we buy with faith on credit. We start enjoying it now. The payment comes later. Abraham was saved on credit. He believed what God would do. He was saved on Jesus' credit because Jesus was coming, and then he's imputed righteousness. Now, the only righteousness that God accepts is his righteousness. Your righteousness is dirty, so that isn't good enough. It's only God's righteousness. Therefore, he had to put it in you so that he can accept you. It's given freely, not for money, not for obedience, not for baptism. It has to be free because we don't have any of it. And since it's free, God can give it to anyone. Now, one of the problems there is believers, we think some people that God gives it to don't deserve it. And if you, if you don't believe me, you watch through life where you have brothers and sisters who separate or argue and fuss and even worse, uh, in a divorce situation, you have two people divorced. What, how's God going to work that all out in heaven? I do not know. But I do know that our righteousness and our protection, God offered that to Abraham, he offers it to us. And then promise number three to Abraham, he says, Abraham, I'm going to give you a glorious future. It's going to be amazing. And uh, to prove that, they, they, they partake in this uh, thing of, of a covenant where they make promises to each other. And the idea of a covenant at that time was, okay, we're going to take this animal, we're going to split it in half, we're going to lay half of a bloody half over here and a bloody half over there, then you and I, are, we're going to walk through here together. And basically what we're saying is, and if I don't keep my word, you can do this to me. Now, uh, we make promises sometimes, don't we? but then we don't keep them. <coughs> and we have reasons for that. But here was the promise. So they cut these up, and uh, it reminds Abe of a couple things. One, who's the promiser? God himself. Number two, what is promised? The land. It's yours, Abraham, and it's yours forever. Abraham asked, well, how am I going to know this? There are covenant preparations. It's sundown. God approaches 
in there, there's a little prophecy in verse 13 and 14 of the prophecy of 400 years in, in Egypt. Now, if you know your history, you know your Old Testament, you know that Abraham was there in the land. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, they sell Joseph. He goes down into, down into Egypt. They're there for 400 years. Finally, Moses rises up and he takes the people, they cross the Red Sea, they go south. Wrong direction, but they go south to Mount Sinai. And if I remember right, it takes them about three months to get to Mount Sinai. They were nine months there at the mountain receiving the law, building the tabernacle, doing all those things. They head north, come straight to Kadesh Barnea. Don't believe God. God says, fine, take a walk. You know, it's a time out. Forty years of time out in the desert. Then they come in through Jordan seven years and they, they take over the land, about 400 years of judges. Then they said they wanted a king. God said, no, you don't. They said, oh, yes, we do. He said, no, you really don't. Oh, yes, yes, we do. Okay, you asked for it, you got it. Gives them a king, about 400 years of kings, more or less, and the Babylonians come in and take them away. 70 years of captivity. Wants... Over and over and over and over, you, get, you see God disciplines those that he loves, but he continues to bring them back. He continues to bring them back. Those of you who have sons, those of you who have daughters, those of you who have little children, you would like to believe that they'll grow up and they'll actually be obedient and they'll be nice and they'll be kind. And, and uh, occasionally I look at my wife and I'll say, <laughs> somebody said this was going to be fun. They grew up, as a friend of mine said, we raise our children and we work very hard to train them to be kind, patient, to love the Lord, to just be delightful people. And in spite of our best efforts, they grew up to be just like we are. True. The covenant takes place. There's the, the prophecy. He talks about the sin of the Amorite. We won't go into that today. And the covenant is done in all of these people. So here's the question in, in this covenant thing. Where's Abraham? We read it. Where, where was Abraham? Well, it appears that Abraham was asleep. Now, if Abraham was asleep, he didn't put anything into the covenant, did he? It was pure grace on the part of God. God passes through alone. See, salvation for Abraham was not, and it's not for you, it's not God does his part and you do your part. God does everything. You accept it. Um, God alone fulfills this covenant. He gives faith to Abraham. He gives trust to Abraham. And he gives you faith. He gives you trust. He gives you protection. He gives you salvation. We accept it and we say thank you. And as a result of the great thankfulness that we have, we follow Jesus. And we are kind, and we are tender, and we are compassionate, and we forgive one another in the house and in the church and on the street and on the highway all the time. I do memorize verses but I hate to use them when I'm preaching because I always flub them up. So Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 reads this way, For by grace you have been saved through faith, 
and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. You didn't save yourself. Abraham did not save himself because he was a great guy, because he went off and saved Lot, because he built altars. No. God saved him because he wanted to. Here's some lessons for life, and we'll close with these three. I'll try to move through these fairly quickly. First lesson is God does not treat everyone alike. Don't want to hurt your feelings. Um, really don't, but it's just truth is. God does not treat everyone alike. He does not bless everyone with tons of money. I sometimes wonder why he didn't make me like Bill Gates so I could have a bazillion dollars. Well, I, I don't know, except I probably would ruin my life. Um, God knows what he gives to one, what he gives to another. Um, God gave this revelation and this covenant. He made it with Abraham. He didn't make it with Lot. He didn't make it with Laban. He didn't make it with Hammurabi, who lived about the same time. He chose Abraham, and he's chosen you. God does treat everyone justly. He's a just God. But some of us receive mercies that in our faith. So God does not treat everyone the same. But if we desire God, he will find us. He will find us. Number two, and I think this is one that's hard, but it's very true. All, all of God's children live with delayed promises. Abraham lived with delayed promises. God said, this land is yours. Oh, Abraham, by the way, go buy a plot so you can bury your wife. I thought it was mine. Well, it is yours, but not yet. So I'm promising to you it's yours, but it's not yours yet. Delayed promise. And by the way, there'll be 400 years that nobody, none of you will live here. You'll be slaves down in this other land, and then you'll come back. But it's yours, but it's 400 years from now. Um, peace and prosperity for God's children. Are all of you rich? No, because if you were rich in February, you would be living in Florida. <laughs> now, now I, I like the north. I like snow. I told you that. I better really live it up now for the next week. I just looked at the, the forecast. Monday, Tuesday, I think Thursday, Friday, uh, next weekend again. But don't you think if we really, really were wealthy, I mean, you know, we'd zip around the world, we'd live in Switzerland, and we'd live, you know. I was nice. But as I tell people when I travel, I almost never meet anybody in Latin America, and they say, where are you from? I say, I'm from Iowa. If I get any close, they say, oh, potatoes. No. We eat potatoes in Iowa, but no. So I know nobody's, so, so why is it, but yet God says that we'll walk on streets of gold. I don't have streets of gold. It's a delayed promise. It's what we will have in glory. This world is not your home, folks. It's not. We will have eternal life. We will have perfect health. We will have perfect happiness. We will have streets of gold, but it's a delayed promise. Wait and watch. You know as well as I do, the best days are not Christmas evening after you've opened all the presents. 
they're the two or three days before, especially when you're under the age of 10. Oh, what's in there? I had one sister. She was always a, the one, you know. She just couldn't live with, oh, man, there's got to be something cool in there. She was always kind of sad. Christmas Day, evening, it's all over. Opened her presents, got socks. <laughs> now, delayed promises, all Christians live with them. There's a verse in Scripture that says, raise up your child in the way which he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Is that a true, is that Scripture in the Bible or not? Is it? Yes, okay, you can say amen. Amen, yes, it's there. Um, I, how many of you have children who are now grown who are not walking as close to Christ as you would like? Would you raise your hand? Yeah, me too. Me too. But the promise is true. When I get up in the morning and I walk, I can pray, I can say anything I want, and they can't do anything about it. It'll happen. It will happen, but it's a delayed promise. One of my favorite songs is, and I will not sing it for you. I thought of you when you were singing and playing. I thought, my goodness, I can't play and I can't sing. Carry on. Somewhere over the rainbow, skies are blue. Yeah. Somewhere over the rainbow, but not here. There are no lemon drops today, but there will be. All of God's children live with delayed promises, but the promises will come true. And finally, through faith, you and I enter into a covenant with God. Abraham entered into a covenant with God, and God walked with him all the days of his life, when he sinned, when he didn't, in the same way, when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith and say, Lord, I accept your sacrifice on the cross, and Lord, I want you to be the ruler of my life and my heart. He saved us gloriously, and we're in a covenant with him for the rest of our lives. It's called the new covenant in my blood that Jesus talks about. That's why we, ce that's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper. It's unconditional. God saves us. He's our protector. God keeps us. He makes us righteous. God takes us home. He gives us a glorious future. January, and uh, John chapter 10, verses 27 to 30. I want to read these words to you. It's, uh, Jesus says, um, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I will give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is better than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Have you come to Christ? Did you have, you, have you entered into that covenant? Abraham obeyed God. God said, bring me this, bring me that, bring me this. Yes, Lord. No, and the Lord God calls to us and he says, come to me. Believe on me. Follow, my, follow, follow me. That's what Jesus says. It's not complicated. Follow me. And uh, have you entered into that covenant? If you haven't, talk to me afterwards. I'd love to tell you more about it. Many of you have, and then live like it. Live like it. We're covenant followers of Christ. He's your protector. He gives you righteousness, and he'll take you 
all the way home to glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your for your promises and how, Lord, we can see that you are always faithful. Lord, help us to respond and to live like covenant Christians, not just in church, but all 24 hours of every day. Lord, may your salvation be real. May, your, may your, the relationship we have with you be real. And Lord, may we live thinking on those delayed promises that you've made. Lord, walk with us and guide us through this week of snow and uh, help us to be faithful to you. And then we'll give you the honor and glory for it. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Dan. Uh, to follow up his ending there, covenant promises, um, I was reading something this week, and I thought it was perfect timing. Instead of saying you're dismissed, I'll address it as you're sent, as we are sent into this world to witness to the people who don't know Jesus. We're sent in this world to share the truth that God has revealed to us with those in our daily walk doesn't mean you got to go search somebody out. There's probably somebody just in your work environment or the coffee shop that you frequent or wherever it is that you go on your day-to-day that needs to know Jesus. So we're sending you. I'm sending you today to be intentional this week in sharing your faith and witnessing to those who you know need Jesus. So you're sent. <laughs>